Praise God. We'd love to welcome everyone today. If you're a guest with us today, we're so glad you're here worshiping with us this morning. Amen. And it's good to see everybody in the house of the Lord. It's great to have the Kellers with us today. So glad you guys are here with us. Amen. Praise God. We're going to switch it up a little bit. You can be seated. Let's pretend I just read something and you know I'm moving forward. For you traditionalists that cannot start without something. So we've read and we've moved forward. But I feel the Holy Ghost is in this place today and what the Lord I feel like has given me fits wonderfully and beautifully in the sort of the woven tapestry of this service as the Lord is speaking and moving in such a beautiful way. But I'll talk to you for a few moments on the dark side of love. No, that's not a Star Wars reference. I won't be doing my Yoda impression or my Darth Vader breathing as I speak. I'm going to talk to you today about the dark side of love. And I want you to go back with me to the sort of hinge point of all Scripture from which the past and the future hinged upon, and that was the moment of the passion of the Christ. I want to go back there for a moment and, and peel back for a moment the layers a little bit. And I want to point out three particular things that you've probably heard, read, but I want to try to piece them together this morning with the help of the Holy Ghost and show you something about the love of God that is just astounding to me. So if you would go with me, let's go back to, let's use Matthew's account, if we could, today of the crucifixion in Matthew chapter 26, and let's go down to verse number 47, if you don't have a an ability, maybe you don't have a Bible or maybe you don't have it on your phone, we'll provide you the scriptures on the screen for you to follow along. This is a very important, very infamous moment in the story. And while yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came and with him with great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now that he betrayed him, gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. Verse 49, And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they, laid hands on Jesus, and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus, we know that being Peter, stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then Jesus said, then Jesus said, then said Jesus unto him, put up again thy sword unto this place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Verse 53 is what I want to go to. Then Jesus turned and said this thought, thinkest thou that I cannot pray to my father? and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. Judas walks up, gives him a kiss. The betrayal happens. And as a sign of that being the moment, we find that the soldiers that were there grab a hold of Jesus, 
take him by the hand, and that was going to be the moment by which they were going to take him off. And Peter, in his desire to defend the Lord and take matters in his hand, whips out his sword and swings and takes off the ear of the priest. And we learn, find, find later, that Jesus actually repaired the damage that was done. But Jesus turns to him and kind of like looked at him in a little bit, are you kidding me? You think you're going to be able to stop this with a sword? If I wanted to stop it, all I have to do is just say the word. If I wanted to stop the, all of this that's going on, it's not out of my control. It's not out of the realm of what I want to do. I understand what's going on and I understand what's about to take place. If I wanted to stop it, i just say the word. Twelve legions of angels would come down. Then farther along we find verse 27, uh, Matthew 27 verse 11. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the, of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou? Notice he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witnessed against thee? And he answered to them with a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast of the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner, whom they would, and they had a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were together together, Pilate said unto him, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called the Christ? And go with me a little farther down to verse 38. Then there were two, three, two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And they that passed by revealed him, wagging their heads, saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it again in three days, save yourself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priest mocking with the scribes and others said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Notice this. When he could have, he wouldn't. When he should have, he didn't. There's something that happens in these three instances I picked out that are just absolutely overwhelming, showing the love of God. Because as was already said, and I didn't discuss what the Lord gave me with my wife, and she was discussing that today and was in the Holy Ghost with what she said, because often we look at the love of God based off what He does. But I want to tell you today the dark side of love. Because in the fact of the matter is, He said it to Peter when He's standing there, and he looks at Peter and he knows what's about to happen. In fact, he had just gone to the prayer meeting where he had literally broke his heart. Blood is dripping down his face and out of his pores as he's sweating blood. And he looks at Peter and he goes, are you kidding me? I want to stop this. How would you say the word? Twelve legions of angels would be here at the sound of my word. And then, and then one of the... One of the, 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 the the, the scapegoats of history, if you want to call them that, Barabbas. That, that many have used the, 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 the idea of Barabbas to be the, 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 the reason why the crowd 
yell that day because there was a custom at Passover that, that, that there would be a prisoner released as the idea of Passover being what it was and, and that the governor, that the people that were in charge would release a prisoner. And so Barabbas, as was told us, he was a murderer, a thief. Was it, was it somebody you would necessarily want to associate with? And given the choice, Pilate said, who would you want to have? He said, Barabbas or Jesus? And we know the crowd began to yell that day, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And we look at Barabbas and we go, man, here he is. But you know what today, guess what? Do you know who I am? I'm Barabbas. Do you know who you are today? You're Barabbas. We were the ones that were supposed to die. We were the ones that were supposed to be imprisoned. We were the ones that had committed the crime and were wrong. He was the one that was innocent. But yet, he chose to take our place. What happened to Barabbas after that? History doesn't know. We, we find that he kind of gets lost in the pages of history. We don't know what happened to Barabbas. We don't know what happened to him. We don't know if he became one of the followers of Jesus and got saved on the day of Pentecost as part of the 3,000. We don't know what happened to him. We don't really know what could have happened, but, but I wonder what it must have been like to be Barabbas, to what it must have felt like to be him, knowing that you had been set free and someone else had taken your place. And if all of this wasn't amazing enough, the fact of the matter is, here is Jesus Christ, the innocent one, who had really done nothing wrong. He was, the stuff he was accused of was just, was just nutty stuff that they had made up in order to try to come up with an excuse to justify their actions. And here he is up on the cross, and people are walking by, and, and, and they wag their heads, and they go, if you're really God... All that stuff you were saying about you're going to tear down the temple in three days. And look at you. You're up there. I mean, he had to have been. Let's be honest, folks. You've, you've heard this before, but I'll say it again because we have some guests. The pictures you see in the Christian bookstores or in paintings or on the Internet of this beautiful, po just, just poetic-looking scene of Jesus up there on the cross with this beautiful little fitted robe around his waist, sitting there with this... Like, it wasn't like that at all. You're talking about the fact that his face was beaten so bad that it was actually, it would have been hard to look at. It was disfigured. His beard had been plucked. He was bleeding out of every possible place. His back had been just chewed like a plowed field. He had thorns drawn in his head. It would not have been something beautiful to look at. And then watch, you ever seen? I, 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 one, one part about being a pastor, that's not always the greatest part, is, you, is, is, is dealing with death. i got to be honest with you, it's not one of the, the fun things of life. I enjoy being there for the family and trying to support the family, but I've been in the room several times when someone is suffering and they've died. That's not easy to watch someone suffer pain, especially someone you love to watch them. Can you imagine sitting there watching this man who had done nothing wrong? Literally every single breath was agony. Because on the crucifixion, the way you hung, basically you were, you were, you were cutting off 
Your ability to breathe. In order to breathe, you know this. In order to breathe. But you had to press off of your feet. Pull yourself up to get a breath. Because when you slumped down, the way your body hung would begin to take the ability for your lungs to fill with air. So every breath was pushing off the nails, pulling up on the, on the nails, and rubbing your back. And watching this had to be agonizing and then have the audacity to walk by and go, look at this guy. He really was who he said he was. Come down off that cross. Hey! All that stuff you were doing, if you're really who you say you are, just come down on the cross. We'll believe you. If you come down, we'll believe you're the Son of God. If you really are who you say you are, then come down off that cross. And Jesus in his agony and pain is listening to the mockery, hearing the charges, hearing the accusations. And when he could have, he wouldn't. And when he should have, he didn't. He could have easily said, you know what? (laughs) You know what? I'm so tired of hearing you guys mock me. Let me just show you. Hold on one second. Come down, shake your hand, say, you know, do you believe? Now I'm going back up there again because I got to finish something. Or you know what? If it was me, now... Thankfully, I'm not your savior. Because if it was me, and I'm on that cross, I'd have done some kind of Superman thing where stuff came to my eyeballs. I'd have been lighting them up with lasers or something. You want to mess with me? I'll mess with you. (laughs) See if you like that. Mock me. Literally. Don't sit there and act like you wouldn't. The last thing we want to do is when we're accused of being something or something we know we're not, and then what do we want to do? We want to prove to everybody that's not the case. You want to prove to me that this and prove, you know what? I want to prove to you, and that's what inside of this. But you know what's amazing about Jesus Christ is he sat there and listened to that. He sat there and heard that. And he told Peter, listen, if I wanted this to be over with, I'd just say the word. I mean, I made the tree that I'm being crucified on. The thorns that are driven in my head, I created those things. If I wanted this to be over with, I could say the word. But you know what? Here's the point. And here's the dark side of love. Here's why. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also we have access by faith into his grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience, experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. And here it is right here. Here's the dark side of love right here. But God commended. That's a fancy word to say God proved. God proved his love towards us. How did he do that? In that. What? While we were yet sinners. 
Christ died for us. There right there is the dark side of love. Because you know what? It would have been one thing, Dylan, for when he was on the agony of that cross, for him to look out into history, look out in the future, and see you sitting there worshiping. But he said, boy, I, I'm staying up here because I got, there's a young man that's going to be worshiping me. I'm, I, 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 but you know what? No. No. That's what he, he wasn't looking at that. He wasn't looking at the dress, the suits, and the nice dresses, and the done-up hair, and all of you that spent time this morning trying to look halfway decent. He wasn't looking at that. That's not what he saw. He didn't see you in your perfection. He didn't get on that cross because he says, you know what? I want them to worship me. He proved his love towards me while I was yet a sinner Christ died for me do you know what that proves more than anything is that God loves me at my darkest the dark side of love is that not that God loves us at our greatest the dark side of love is that God loves us at our darkest the fact of the matter is, is that he didn't love, he didn't have this picture in his mind of beauty and perfection. When he was on that cross, do you know what he saw? He saw my lusts, my perversions, my shortcomings, my addictions, my, my profaneness, all the things in my life that I'm not proud of. He saw all those things. He saw me. That's what he saw in me. That's who he saw. He saw the, the, the junk, the, the mess, the, the grime, the yuck, the, the dirt of my life. And when he had the opportunity to go, you know what? Let's be honest. I don't know if they're worth dying for. You know what? Do you know that I'm on this cross because of you and you're sitting there mocking me? Do you know what? One of the greatest acts of love that God shows for us is really not really what he does for us. The greatest act of God shows to love is, is that when we do something wrong, he doesn't come with a hammer and say, you know what? You just sinned. Now you're about to get it. He has every right to do that. He is God in whom there is no flaws. He is the epitome of perfection, of love. And for us to do things that are contrary to that love, He has every right to come and zap us. Wipe us off the face of the earth. One moment. Literally. Take us out. Done. You're over with. But you know what? There's something in here. Got my, my workable prop here. There's something that constrains God. It says that love gets a hold of him and says, don't do it. Give him a chance. Give him a chance. Let him have a chance. 
know this is silly. It's not in Scripture. And if this is too wild for you, it's just too wild for you. It's okay. It's my, I got the microphone. When you have your microphone, you tell it your way. It's not in Scripture. And if you feel like this is crazy, that's okay. I wonder how many times Jesus reaches down and feels those scars. Looks down at Joel and sees Joel just doing something stupid. Wacky. Just somewhere I shouldn't be saying something I shouldn't say, doing something I shouldn't do, watching something, whatever it is. I wonder how many times he just reaches down and just feels those scars. And remembers the fact that I died for him at his darkest. You know what's so crazy is? Do you know how many people would believe in God if the moment you sinned, God would just go pew? Seriously. Do you know how we wouldn't be able to build a building big enough to house people? Every rentable facility in this area would be filled this morning if that's how God operated. You do something wrong, done. I mean, you're toast. We would be in here today. I mean, I couldn't get you to leave. You're dismissed. We want to stay. No, you need to go home. No, please, let us stay. We want to pray. I mean, you'd be going home. You wouldn't want to. I mean, somebody cut you over in traffic. Oh, bless them, Jesus. Love them so much. I mean, uh, I mean, seriously, you think about it. Stub your toe. I mean, you're, you're hammering a nail, smack your nail. Woo, God's a good God. Yes, Jesus. Hallelujah. That's exactly how it would be, right? Goodness gracious, don't make a mistake. If you make a mistake, God's going to absolutely tear you up. I could say there's church tomorrow night, the next night, the night after that night. You'd be like, you know what, forget it. I'll quit my job. I'll do whatever I got to do. I'm coming. Because if I mess up, God's going to knock me out. But yet he doesn't do that. And so when he doesn't do that, what do we do? Is God really serious about all that? You know, if God was really who he said he was, he wouldn't let all this stuff happen. You know, the Bible says that we shouldn't do this and do that and be a part of it, and we do that, and God doesn't do anything about it. You know, it's so stupid. And his love towards us works against him. His desire to love you actually works. Do you know how, 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 if you, you know what? God, if you're really who you say you are, you know, eradicate all of this out of the world. That wouldn't be love. Do you know what we call people that do that? We call them dictators. That try to eradicate what they presume to be wrong out of the world. And yet, because God doesn't act and he shows love, it opens him up to be able to say, you know, I don't know. I'm not really sure. Because the dark side of love is he loves me not at this point, but he loves me at this point. In fact, not, not even at this point. He loves me. There's no part too deep that his love doesn't reach. 
I know this is crazy. I know this is nutty. I know this is so far-fetched that it's hard to even fathom, and most of you probably will turn me off when I even use it as an illustration. But according to that scripture right there that we read, that Jesus died for someone like Adolf Hitler who was eradicating millions and millions of Jews. He died for him. I know we don't compare ourselves among ourselves, but the fact of the matter is, is that, let's be honest, folks, it would have been one thing if I'm sitting here telling you, you know what? God died for you because you're a perfect person. That's one thing. But the fact of the matter is, he said, I'll prove my love for you by this. When I was on the cross, I loved you in your darkest. You know what that proves? There is nothing in my life that can separate me from the love of God unless I choose to separate myself. There's only one thing that can separate me from the love of God. That's my choice. Because there's no action that I've done or will ever do that could separate me. Because, you know what? Those people that were looking at the cross, and the Bible, Matthew even equates it as, he didn't say, he said they were wagging their head. I mean, he even told us that they were doing it with a mockery and an attitude, like, I mean, really, they just walk by and say it. He's, Matthew said, and they wagged their head. I mean, that's just brutal. It's one thing to mock Jesus when he's over there and eating piece of bread side of the road but it's another thing to mock him when he's up there in agony and pain wag your head and say if you're really who you say you are and what's amazing is when he opened his eyes and looked down to them I, I, don't, I wonder what their reaction would have been because instead of seeing anger they saw love instead of seeing Vengeance. They saw forgiveness. And those same people that stood there that day mocking him were the ones that heard out of his own mouth, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Why? Because his love for us is greater than we could ever imagine. His love for us is so great, we can't even fathom it. Peter says this, and I'm almost done. Peter says this, 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His long-suffering with you and me is not his lack of deity. It doesn't show his lack of power. His long suffering to us is his greatest act of love. His greatest act of love to you and I is the fact he's patient with us in our greatest mistakes.
when you and I ultimately deserve to be wiped off the face of the earth, to be zapped, crushed, done, finished. That's what we deserve. But yet, He's long-suffering to us. Why? Because it's His desire. Not one person in this room would perish. And you know what the fond me is? God lives in all space and all time. God is in all space and all time. So you know what? In God's mind, Calvary is still ongoing. Because he lives in all space and all time. And you know what? His love for us is so great that Calvary reaches still to this day to our hearts and lives. And it doesn't matter what I've done. That's the amazing thing. I I can understand. I stole a pack of gum. No problem. Easy. Okay, God, look, I didn't do it. They told me double the pleasure, double the fun. I had to get that double mint and I stole it. (laughs) Forgive me for it. I'm good. That was easy. No big deal. You know what? I said something I shouldn't have said. Okay, you know, big deal. Who doesn't say something they shouldn't have said? Lord, forgive me. And that's what we, how we think. Because, no, I mean, come on. If, 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 if really, you know, God's a lot like us, that's not a big deal for a gift. But, but, whoa, 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 whoa. Then we start getting higher on the ladder. We're now past the gum. We're past the lies or the things. Now we're getting into the big stuff. Oh, uh, well... God, I know you could do that, but I'm not sure you can do this. God, I, I know Calvary was, was great and all that. And I know Calvary could help me and forgive me for stealing that pack of gum. I know Calvary could forgive me for saying that word I shouldn't have said. You know, that was awesome. But God, you don't know what I've done. I don't know if I, I could get forgiven for that. Do you know what you're saying? I know you're not saying this with your mind, but you're saying it with your actions. Do you know what you're saying? You're telling him, you're saying, look, your sacrifice was, was okay, but I don't know if it was good enough. Maybe you needed three more whips on your back. Maybe you needed another nail or two driven in your arms and your hands and your feet. Maybe you needed a few more thorns in that crown. Maybe you needed him to stab you with that spear a few more times. And maybe if you would have suffered enough, God, maybe I could feel forgiven. Maybe you could forgive me because that's how horrible of the thing I've done. If, if, if you would have just gone a little farther in your sacrifice, you could have probably forgiven me because I've done some Bad stuff. God, I know you can forgive. I know you can forgive her. I mean, what's the worst she could have done? I mean, look at her. She looks perfect. 
You couldn't have done anything really bad. But God, me? Me? I don't know if there's hope for me, God. Could you? Maybe you could produce another son to go to Calvary one more time and this time do it really good. I mean really, really do it up well. I mean just really do it. And maybe this time it would work. We don't say that. But you know what? That blood that can forgive the pack of gum is the same blood that can forgive the deepest and darkest and dirtiest of things in our life. The same blood that forgives the gum stealer is the same blood that forgives the murderer. It doesn't take a different... You don't add anything to it. It's not like, oh, you know, what, what, are you, what kind of blood do you need? Well, I got 87. I'm just an unleaded type of Christian. I'm good. But, well, some of us, we need 93. We got to get that premium octane in our system because we are some messed up people. And so today's an 87 unleaded today. So all you good, solid, decent people, you can get your gas tank filled. Next week might be your premium and then every one every once in a while you get somebody in here that you can't even 93 you got to do some high octane racing fuel and every once in a while someone comes through they need jet fuel and that's how we look because you know god what silly is everything we've done he already knew because he was already on the cross and he saw it. There's nothing we've done. I don't care how great, how crazy it is. I'm trying to finish what the Holy Ghost is talking, so I can't stop yet. There's nothing we've done that's made God go, oh. Gabriel, Michael, did you just see what they did? Can you believe? Are you serious? They just did. There's nothing that we have done or will ever do that will shock God. So let's just get this out of the, let's just get it off the plate. I don't care what you've done in this place and what garbage you brought in this place. Nothing in this place is too hard for God. But you don't know how bad it is, preacher. No, I don't know. But you know what? I don't need to know. He knows and his blood is still sufficient. But you don't know what I've done and the things I've done. You know what? I hope to God no one ever does. Keep that between you and God and let the blood of Jesus cover it that's in this place today. Let's not, you know what? Let's not whip out our list and start going down and checking out. Well, I did this. Well, I did this. Well, I did that. Well, I did this. Well, I did that. And then we'll have a blue ribbon at the end. We have found the worst sinner in the building. Congratulations, you've won. Because nobody, it doesn't do that. The Bible says all have sinned. All have sinned. Oh, guess what? Me, him, him, there, 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 there. Everybody in God's playbook is on equal footing because everybody has sinned.
He didn't say divide the church up between the bad, the worst, and the flat out evil. He didn't say that. He just said, you know what? Let's just solve this problem right now. I'm going to let you in a little secret. Everybody sinned. Everybody. And he said, you know what? I'm going to make it even further than that. If you're guilty in one part of the law, you're guilty in all of it. Guess what? I'm a serial killer, mass murderer. I'm I'm a drug dealer, drug user. Adulterer, fornicator, I'm all of that. Why? Have I done all that? According to the Bible. In one sin, I'm guilty of all of it. So you want to start comparing sins? I'll always outdo you. Because according to the Bible, I've done it all. Because if I'm guilty in one point, I'm guilty of all of it. But you know what? That song that says, It reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. The blood that Jesus shed. The blood. The dark side of love today, folks, is is that God... He's looking at you right now. And he doesn't say, you know what? If you change a little bit, I'll love you. If you get your act together, I'll love you. The dark side of love is he looks right down where you are right now and says, I want you to know right now before you make even one slight move, I love you just as much right now. My love is not going to grow and get bigger when you make 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 a move towards me. I'm not withholding my love. Why? Because I love you at your darkest. I love you at your darkest. You know how liberating that is? Because I've got to be honest with you. If I was God, you'd be in trouble. Because I'd be like, you know what? Prove to me. Let's be honest. We do that in our relationships. If you really loved me, you would... You know what I mean? But you know what? His greatest act of love is not what he does. His greatest act of love is what he doesn't do. But because of what he doesn't do, leads everyone to question, is God really who he says he is? Do you know how easy it would be right now? I'm telling you, I said it before, and I won't go back to it. I'm trying to close. But do you know... If on some kind of trial, national television trial, one of these last trials that had been a big, big news story, that if God would have just shown up in the courtroom and zapped that person and handwriting on the wall would have said, it was God, I did it, they're judged. But you know what? We read it. He's patient with us. Why? Because it's God's desire that not one person in here would perish and you know what in order to love you've got to take the risk that that love will not be returned God because he let your free will alone I'm finishing with this because God let your free will alone 
He did all that, taking the risk that you'd say, I'm good, thank you. He did all that and took the risk knowing that it's your free will today to get up out of that seat, walk out of that room, get in your car, never come back here again, think we're just a bunch of wax and quacks. But yet he said, when I could have, I wouldn't. When I should have, I didn't. Why? Because of that love. What you feel in this place, some of you, most of you are familiar to this. What you feel in this place, there's not condemnation in God's hammer. There's no hammer hanging out ready to squash us. It's this tug in your heart. Because God's saying, if you just give me a chance. I'm just asking somebody in this place, just give me a chance to show you what I mean. Give me a chance. You say, well, I can't do it, preacher, because you know if I do that, I, I, I don't think I can live, I don't think I can live that kind of life. What kind of life are you talking about? The perfect life? Well, if that's the case, here, take this, this, all of that. You, God bless you. Because I'm disqualified. Was a preacher, I, I, I could do that, but you know, I'm not sure if, if I'm going to be able to, to, to live without making mistakes. <laughs> oh, if you only knew, folks, if you only knew. If you only knew. I'll give you, I'll give you a perfect one. I will buy you a dinner and send you on a cruise if you can show me in the Bible where it says coming to God requires you to live a perfect life. Because you know what? It's not in there. Because you know what Peter said? Put that back up there, Peter 3 and 9. Real quick. Guess what, folks? Let me just share this with you. You ready? Do you know who that was written to? Wasn't written to the person that didn't know him. That was written to those who claimed to be his followers. It wasn't written to the, the crazy person out there that didn't know God. Peter wrote that to people that were trying their best to live for God. And he said, listen, God's long-suffering to you that you shouldn't perish. It wasn't written to the, to the crazy and the people that don't care about God. Those were written to people that were trying to live for God. He said, God loves you so much, he's going to be patient with you because he doesn't want you to perish. Right where you are, if you would, you bow your heads. It's just you and the Lord right now. Close your eyes, if you would, not to be spooky or mystical, but this is a very private moment that we're in. I'm asking you just for a moment to just take an inventory of your life. As you're sitting there right now, I would imagine that there are thoughts, memories, and stuff flashing in your head. Things you've done, things you've said, things you've saw, places you've been. Things you're not proud of, things you're ashamed of, things that have 
made you feel like you're no good, used, dirty, things that felt like have separated you from God. But you know what? I want you to take all of that stuff that's flooding your head right now. And I want you right now, in your own way, however you picture it, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to go back with me for a moment all the way to the hill of Calvary. I want you to look, I want you to look up in your mind right now. I want you to see Jesus on the cross. Come on, look at it. Whatever you think, it doesn't have, it's not a wrong answer. Whatever you picture Jesus to look like, look up on that cross. What do you see? Do you see anger? Do you see condemnation? When you look at that cross and you see that picture in your mind of Jesus, what do you see? Do you see this fierce, hateful God who's ready to, to bring vengeance on you? I don't think so. When you're looking at that cross right now, that's truly the picture of love. And you know what? If you take your eyes and go down the cross to the foot, the base of the cross there at the bottom where the blood is beginning to puddle up as it drips off our Savior's body and that puddle of blood that's at the bottom. Take all that stuff you're carrying and go over and just put it in that puddle. Let it just get washed in that blood in this moment right now. Come on, the love of, love of Jesus is in this room right now. And you know what? It's your choice. It's your choice. I can't make you do it. The person next to you can't do it. You have to choose. We can't come around you and grab a hold of you and shake you and say, do it. It's your choice. But I'm asking you, would you give God a chance today? Just let His forgiveness touch you for a moment. Maybe you need to say it out loud. Not, not a big yelling, booming voice. We don't need to hear your baggage. But maybe it's just the sound of a whisper. But just the sound of the whisper. Why don't you just say, Lord, forgive me. God, I've done things that I'm not proud of. God, I've done things that, that frankly, I'm ashamed of. I've done things that I know were wrong. But God, I'm asking you, forgive me. Come on, can you just ask them that? Just ask them that. You say, preacher, I, I, don't, I don't feel some great flood of emotion. There's no law that says you have to feel it. But it's out of your own heart. Just ask, say, God, forgive me. Well, you don't know how I'm done. I, I, I don't know if I can. It's, it can't be that easy. Yeah. Oh, you're right. That is actually the first thing you said all day. That's right. It can't be that easy. Because it wasn't easy. Because he's the one that paid the price, but because he paid the price, it made it that easy. Come on, Barabbas. Today God wants to set you free because he's willing to take your place. He's willing to take your place if you let him. You've been condemned, you've been convicted, you've been tried, you've been found guilty. But there's a master in this place today, a Savior, a Lord, a King, a loving Father, a God, that's willing to step in and take that place. Let forgiveness.
Come on, right now, this, this spirit of prayer that's in this place, it doesn't have to be very loud, but I want you asking you, I'm, I'm, I'm begging you, as crazy as that sounds, I'm begging you, would you just talk to God for five, five minutes? Don't you think with what he did for you on Calvary, you can spend five moments and just asking God to help you? Asking God to forgive you, asking the Lord to help you. Come on right now, Lord, I lose your love in this place. I lose the manifestation of the love of God in this place. I bind every lie of the adversary, every accusation. I bind it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I curse it and send it back to the pit of hell from where it came. And I lose the love of God to be on to be demonstrated in this place, to be made manifest in this place. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if you would right now, would you just reach over next to somebody? Just pray one for another. Come on. We're not in this alone. We're in this together. Come on. But the Lord is moving in this place. Would you just be sensitive to someone around you and maybe just grab them by the hand, put your hand on their shoulder. Let's pray one for another. Lord, manifest yourself in this place right now. Come on, let the love of God reach and touch you right now. Come on, let the love of God reach you and touch you right now. Come on, don't push Him away. Don't push Him away. But let Him embrace you today. Let His presence reach down and touch you today. Oh, there is no mountain too high, no valley too low that His blood cannot reach today if you'd let Him. But you got to make the choice. If you make the choice. If you make the choice. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, church, if you're not praying for yourself, would you find somebody and pray with them? Come on, if you're not praying for yourself, that's okay. But I'm asking you, let's just find a moment and pray one for another because the Lord is doing something in this place. Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. Today is the opportunity. Today is the day. Let God take it. Let God take it. Let God take it. Give it to Him. Give it to Him. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Oh, let your blood flow in this place right now. Let your blood flow in this place.